Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. As ever, I'm joined by the most outlandish Manchester United duo since Cluberson and Jemba Jemba. That's The Athletic's United writer, Laurie Whitwell, and United's We Stand Editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr. Andy Mitten. Coming up today, we're looking at Manchester United past, present and future, looking at United extending Odegon Ingalo's loan deal to January 2021, Paul Pogba's possible future, and whether or not the marriage of convenience will continue, and we're going to cap off our rebooted series, looking at Manchester United sealing off the treble. Hi Laurie, how are you doing? I'm alright, Carl, you doing okay? I'm good, I'm good. Who do you want to be, Cleverson or Jemba Jemba? Do I have to be either of them? <laughs> <laughs> Not not a pair that is steeped in, in Manchester United glory, I have to say. Although Jemba Jemba was a, a kind of a bit of a cult figure in, in his own way. I'm going to swing this over to Andy. Uh, Cumberson and Jemba Jemba, very strange time at United, weren't they? Yeah, my favourite uh, Jemba Jemba story was when he, he, he went to the cash point and he couldn't believe that it kept giving him money. He just thought it was like free money after he first arrived <laughs> in England. But I went to, I went to see... Um, uh, Cleberson, so I'm going to be Cleberson if Laurie's being Jemba Jemba. <laughs> uh, I went to see him in Indiana about five or six years ago where he was playing and he was a really nice guy and he basically said I was too immature when I played in England. But his, his son, uh, Clebinio, was born in Wivenshaw Hospital and he said it's his dream to play for Manchester United. So it was worth doing. I took a bus from, from Chicago to um, to meet him and we got caught in a massive um, rainstorm so it was quite an eventful interview but nice guy just said I was I was far too young and something else he said which was very interesting was I went to Manchester United because Ronaldinho said to me I'm going there so you come with me so he, he took that at face value and he went and Ronaldinho didn't he went to Barcelona instead so yeah I'm proud to be Cleberson for today <laughs> there you have it uh, talk of the devils exclusive Listeners, to celebrate the return of football, you can get 30 days free access to all of the great articles on The Athletic by heading to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. First things first, Uncle Jude, Odin Gallo, has extended his loan deal at Manchester United until January 2021. Laurie, Andy, we've talked about this quite a lot, Gallo's impact, how he sort of was a little uh, jump spark United's attack when things seemed a bit desperate. This seems to be a popular decision. Laurie, I want to throw this to you first. So what was behind the move? I think Agarlo's desire to play for United was a, was a large part of it. His talks with Shanghai Shenyu, obviously his parent club, to sort of say, can you know can we make this happen? Because originally, I, I think Shanghai were playing hardball and, and didn't want to lose him for longer than they had already agreed to. A couple of points in United's favour on that. You know, the Chinese league is still a little bit up in the air with with when they're going to return, and even having foreigners come back into the country is is currently not allowed unless you're a sort of diplomat. So whether they could actually have him back playing was going to be a big question for them and obviously he's on a lot of money so you know that, that would have been draining them with, with no product on the pitch so I think that that sort of gave United a bit of a, a bit of leverage but equally you know Shanghai Shenyu wanted to be remunerated correctly for it and looks like United uh, you know they, they got the deal done I think it makes sense for, for all parties really you know Igala's had a, a good time so far at United he's, he's not you know the, the, the main guy that they're going to rely upon for, for scoring goals for the next you know uh, eight months until January 2021 but um, equally he's 
he's, he's hit the ground running and you can see what he does offer for United and, and with 18 games potentially left in this season alone you can see how he definitely would have a part to play with United you know trying to go for top four trying to go for Europa League and, and also um, the FA Cup so I think it's a sensible move I think it, it comes to you know about six million maybe a little bit more with loan fee and, and wages all told so as a cost it's not a, a great deal um, you know even in this climate so I can see I can see why it's why it's happened and I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased I think it was obviously you could see that with it only being announced you know yesterday June the 1st it went right down to the wire but clearly you know it was a, a good move I think for all I think everyone should be happy with it if we looked at the start of the season Manchester United got moved on uh, Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku and you're replacing it with a former Watford striker there would have been some raised eyebrows Andy surely this shows about how Solskjaer is building his own squad yeah, when I ask people about Igalo uh, at Manchester United, they say he's very popular among the other players. They all wanted him to stay. They talk about his his smiley disposition at Carrington, and that simply hasn't been true of other players. And if he fits in with Oli Gunnar's idea of of a good of of someone who's not an arsehole, let's put it that way, then. <laughs> He, he wanted to stay. It helps as a United fan, and he was a proper United fan. There's pictures of him as a kid wearing United shirts, and I think he's done well. I can remember when he signed and putting a, a tweet out, and the reaction was very mixed, and there was a lot of anger in there because it came a few days after the Burnley home defeat. But he's proved he's proved out was wrong. Okay, he's not yet started a Premier League game, but he's made a difference when he's come on and done what's been asked of him. Uh, in in Premier League matches, and he's been very effective in in cup matches. He scored four goals in the two weeks before the lockdown, and his goal at last was fantastic. It was a, a contender for goal of the season, and he linked up well with Bruno Fernandez. And I'm glad that he's able to carry on and continue the good work that he started because it had been unfortunate for him on many cases. One. He couldn't train at the start because he'd be coming from China to the lockdown. Of course, now Marcus Rashford is just about uh, fit, so he's not going to feature that much. But as Laurie says, United is still in the FA Cup. We don't know what's going to happen with the Europa League. There could be a load more games there. I don't think there's. I, I think it's um, a no-brainer, and I'm pleased that he's that he's staying. And when the news came out that he is staying, the reaction was unanimous, almost unanimous. Whereas in January, it definitely wasn't. A couple of games make all the difference. Laurie, is there any chance the move can be made permanent? I'm led to believe that there's no obligation to buy and no uh, option to buy. Um, so, listen, obviously anything could happen, but it sounds like Shanghai wants to offer him a new contract once it comes to an end, um, the loan deal. Uh, and you'd imagine that at that age, 31, 32, that he'd be at that point, that United would be looking to have a player that fits their profile better. You know, Agala was sort of always going to be a, a, bit, a bit of a stopgap and that stopgap is extended just a bit further than we originally anticipated. So, but I think the, the, the overall plan, the long-term vision for United is, is to have a different um, striker in there. So listen, you never, never say never. Obviously, he's already impressed with what he's done so far. And as Andy says, the quality of his goals has been really remarkable and, and his all-round play. So you can't sort of write that off. But equally, it doesn't look at this stage like it's going to be something that will become permanent. Okay, talking about possible permanent strikers. Last week, we were talking about how a big money move in this climate for someone like Harry Kane is a bit unlikely. 
Is it a case of United being a bit more frugal, possibly, in the transfer market? The coronavirus situation has just uh, affected everyone's finances. So you can't, I don't think you'll be seeing United going out spending hundreds and billions of pounds. So they'll obviously have to cut the, cut the um, cloth accordingly. Timo Werner is one that they have, I think, asked about. Uh, we had a, a good piece from David Ornstein talking about that in The Athletic a couple of weeks ago. But I'm led to believe that that isn't one that they're you know, currently pursuing um, hard. You know, I think Liverpool and Werner seems like a more sensible relationship. Uh, and if not, he'd probably stay in Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, Moussa Dembele is another one that's been mentioned and I'm sure that they are monitoring him. But again, the price that Leon would want, you know, can United justify that? And, and, and is he that kind of player that they would want to do so for when you've got Mason and Greenwood coming through um, and Marcus Rashford as Andy said back back to fitness and Anthony Martial still there so I think it's it, the striker position is one that they are wanting to enhance at some stage but they're not going to disrupt the long-term plans for, for, for bringing somebody in this summer if, if they don't need to. Let's talk about Paul Pogba this weekend Daniel Taylor from The Athletic has written a piece saying given the impact on the marketplace and what the transfer window may look like realistically it looks as if Pog, Paul Pog will probably stay at Manchester United for another season, considering there's not many potential suitors. Meanwhile, over on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, we've had our Spanish writer Dermot Corrigan say that even if a club like Real Madrid wanted to buy Paul Pogba, they'd probably go out and buy Kylian Mbappe instead. So, is this a marriage of convenience when we're looking at Paul Pogba now? Andy, I want to talk to you for a little bit here. So, what is Pogba's relationship with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment? It's not bad, um... Slightly complicated. Ollie knows that he's a hugely talented player, and on a one-to-one level, Ollie's got a good relationship with almost all of his players. They like him, and there are players there, star players there. I'm not saying Pogba, uh, who had issues with with Jose Mourinho, and they don't have the same issues with with Ollie Gunnar. The problem's been that Paul Pogba's wanted to leave, and also Pogba is the main man in the dressing room, and you have people like Anthony Martial and Jesse Lingard who really look up to Paul Pogba. And it's not an ideal situation for anyone when your best, your main man wants to leave. I think recent circumstances have actually benefited Manchester United. One, there's going to be a lack of suitors, which you say, and which Danny talks about in his piece. I don't think you're going to be getting the stupid uh, fees, which Manchester United would demand. They're not going to take a loss on Paul Pogba. They don't need to sell Paul Pogba. Two, Manchester United started playing really well and winning matches without Paul Pogba. So if he suddenly thinks he's central to everything, then, well, he's not. Three, Bruno Fernandes. The idea of them two playing together, I think that excites a lot of United fans. Pogba still remains a character who divides United fans. I've done a couple of surveys and you get, it's, it's 50-50, 60-40. You get, there's a significant numbers of people who say, get rid now. But there are lots who know he's a world-class, brilliant player. And on a personal level, he's very professional. He's very polite. And I still hold out hope that he can become a great Manchester United player. And to be fair to him, the dream which he sold, was sold to join United, that, that, that didn't come to fruition either. You can argue back and forth how much part he should play and how much responsibility he should play with that. But I think with Pogba and Fernandez, it, it, it could be one of the best partnerships in world football. And who are his suitors? Barca do not have the money. Madrid, where he wanted to go to before he joined Manchester United, they've got other players in that position. I watch Real Madrid frequently. I know what's going on there. 
a player like Paul Pogba is not currently their priority. And it all leads to the probability and likelihood of him staying at the club where he's contracted with and hopefully becoming an influential player. And it'd be great just to see him enjoy his football. The one issue that United have got with, with, with Paul Pogba is they know he's hugely talented, but he's also a free spirit on the football pitch and there's times when that costs the team. So if he can add more discipline to his game, and I think he can become become a world beater. I'd like him to. And if you would have asked me at the start of this year, I would have said on the balance of probability he's going. And now I would say that he's staying. But he has an agent who is not adverse to manoeuvrings and doing deals. So I wouldn't be completely stunned if he did left. But I think he'll stay. Laurie, you just mentioned him. Minoreola. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the agent of Paul Pogba and now Jesse Lingard, he's sort of the 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 X factor in any potential deals involving Pogba staying at United, is it not? Yeah, he's certainly going to have a, a sort of major part to play. But if if Paul Pogba wants to leave, Mina Rola will work to try and facilitate that. That's his job. That's his modus operandi. I did a piece not long ago on him when it became clear that he was working with Jesse Lingard and the kind of reaction that that drew from United, um, and also the the fact that when Red Bull realised that that um, Mina Rola was was working with him, you know, when he when he transferred from Mulder, the, the kind of groans in the in the in the director's office um, when the email came through from his father to say actually can you please direct your inquiries to, to me now that they, they sort of knew that they were up against uh, a character that doesn't play by the the book really I mean Danny obviously went into it in a little bit more detail in his Pogba piece this weekend on the athletics so there's there's more sort of fun and games and there's, there's obviously plenty of stories abound that that sort of show why he he can rub people up the wrong way and, and doesn't kind of take people um it doesn't doesn't do business in a, in a usual kind of suited and booted kind of way so yeah he, he can obviously you know provide a, a bit of a maverick addition to all this and, and maybe he's got something up his sleeve I suppose I just ultimately come back to the financials of everything though you know he can't, he can't magic up money uh, Mino Rola so you look at the clubs as Andy has said that, that would be interested in, in Paul Pogba and the price that Manchester United would want I was told last summer that it was about £120 million pounds. It, it kind of fluctuated different people had different things but clearly over £100 million. I sort of then wrote a piece to suggest actually would United have to come down on that value when it was clear that the relationship between Paul Pogba and United was was very strained, you know, almost at a breaking point, I suppose. Would they accept a kind of cash back, you know, 80 million, 85 million pounds for what they paid to Juventus to sign him? So it, it, it just fluctuates. But even, even that, I, I was, I'm not sure now that the, there are clubs out there that would, that would be able to pay that kind of money. So that's why, as Andy said, I would originally have said that this summer he'd be leaving. I'm now, you know, fluctuating to the alternative and the, the likelihood that he stays and and you know he's been training he's been a good presence around Carrington throughout all this um, you know so and I wonder if he's quite excited at the, at the prospect of, of playing with Bruno Fernandes that's certainly something that they are looking at Manchester United you know can you play Bruno and, and, and Pogba in the same team it'd be fascinating to find out wouldn't it um you might need a sort of anchor in there to to do the defensive stuff but clearly you, you've got the options there now and it is quite exciting it's for the first time where Solskjaer's got the opportunity to play midfield a midfield that he can select from the, the pressure for Solskjaer there is, is is picking the best midfield from all the players that he's got rather than having to pick a midfield based on the, what he's got left which it, it, at times last season when you know you had Fred and, and Andres Pereira at Sheffield United you know and Fred was and it had a little bit of a dip and that that was a really 
you know, dry midfield, a really difficult midfield. And whereas now you kind of look at it and think, actually, that that could be a really serious um, Premier League midfield, you know, European midfield. We'll see. How's Pogba's fitness right now? Is, is he approaching match fitness or quote, you know, air quotes match fitness, considering the exercise break infused COVID training that we're doing right now? Yeah, good question. I mean, he's um, obviously he hasn't played since Boxing Day anyway. You know, there's, di- there's difficulties there in terms of when he's going to be you know, when he was going to be match fit anyway. And that, that is the that is the big question. You know, it's what it's one thing, I suppose, being fit on the training pitch and, and, and putting it about there, but then another thing in, in matches. And I guess as we, we we've seen with the Bundesliga coming back, we don't even know really how these matches will pan out. Some people think that the players might fly out the gates, you know, have been been sort of taken off the leash, so to speak, for the first twenty minutes and, and maybe burn themselves out and it'll be up to managers to try and manage that situation and make sure that players don't go too too hard too soon. Um but we've seen, haven't we, that the players have been suffering some injuries in the Bundesliga, muscle injuries, you know, the 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 intensity has dropped off at times, so maybe that will be okay for Pogba. Maybe he doesn't necessarily need to have 100% match fitness because the general uh, energy committed in games by other players won't be at the same level as it as it once was. So, um, but that is a definite question that they, we we don't know yet, and we'll only see, I suppose, when the matches start. Talk of the Devils rebooted series is coming to its grand finale today. We are looking back at Manchester United's treble. 21 years ago. First things first, a rather straightforward victory in the FA Cup final against Newcastle. 2-0. Goals from Teddy Sheringham and Paul Scholes. And I'm not going to reveal how old I am on this podcast, but I can't really remember it being that difficult. Andy, it was at the Old Wembley. How was this FA Cup final? The Old Wembley was an ashtray, and I will object to anybody who says, uh, who romanticises about the Twin Towers. It was an absolute tip of a stadium. You'd you'd go to the toilet, there'd be be urine all over the floor. The sight lines were dreadful. The price, you had to ring your bank manager up before you bought a hot dog there. I remember just being stung there about how expensive it was. But yeah, um, that that game, the final, it was a a bigger deal for Newcastle United because they haven't won a trophy since the Ice Age and obviously they had a decent side. But United were up for it. And you had United players that day who uh, knew that they were not going to be playing in Barcelona, um, like Mr. Keane. And he was on one. He was on a on a mission. And it was fairly comfortable. Um, Teddy Sheringham was, was very good that day. I recall a, a bright, sunny day. And someone will show me the pictures now and it'll show that it's actually cloudy. But <laughs> And everyone just talking about going on to Barcelona. Uh, that was that was going to be a few days after that, and United had won the double. So they'd won the double before. They'd won it in '94. They'd won it in '96. Could they do the treble? That was the issue then. But Newcastle had a, a very good team: Alan Shearer, uh, Gary Speed, Rob Lee, players like that. Um, they'd been a, a major rival for Manchester United in the, the second half of the 1990s, and wasn't the first time United had played them. At Wembley, they, they met in the 96 Charity Shield, which Manchester United won 4 1. It was a really good game, that one. So, yeah, mm. all good. What can you remember, Laurie? I was asking my dad about this the other day. Um, I think we just watched it at home, to be honest, because we didn't. Because the FA Cup was harder to get tickets for, wasn't it, than, yeah, it was, than yeah. other matches for some reason? Well, it's, um, because, it's because Wembley held 80,000 and both teams only got 20,000 tickets each. Right. So, United were, were averaging 60 odd thousand as they were then the vast majority of match-going fans were not going to have access to a cup final ticket. So, yeah, it was a yeah. hard ticket. Yeah. It's funny what you mentioned about the Wembley as well. I was speaking to David Davis for the, my piece on the Glazers because he was, um, you know, FA... 
member for a long time and, and chief exec, and he, he brought that up himself because I, I mentioned Old Trafford, you know, as a stadium because he's got a season ticket there still. And I said, obviously, some of the criticism has been about the, the lack of renovation of the stadium. And he said, oh, don't talk to me about renovation. When I was um, FA chief exec and we decided to tear down Wembley, I got such pelters for, you know, ruining uh, what was a, you know, a historical stadium. But, you know, in hindsight, clearly, and as, as you said, having witnessed it firsthand, it did definitely need upgrading. I, I think I went to a, a community shield or charity shield as it was back then game against Arsenal and, and, and you know, the seats you know you had like bird poo on them and you know you could see that the roof was sort of falling down and it, it, it definitely needed a full revamp not just a, a lick of paint but um but yeah and obviously that was the stadium that United were playing in that that season for it wasn't wasn't long after that was it it was a couple of years when it you know got got taken down um so one of the last sort of last finals under the under the towers it was because um, it moved to Cardiff for a few years and Cardiff was a really popular venue. Great stadium, bang in the middle of, of a decent city centre at Cardiff. So I think United fans have got pretty happy memories of going to Cardiff. And on Wembley, United were going there that often. I remember the fanzines calling it Old Trafford South because <laughs> <laughs> such keen, keen visitors. And that day, I remember, I remember Skulls and Sheringham that day. Skulls obviously wasn't going to be playing in, in Barcelona uh, either. But it's the FA Cup. I still think it's a huge deal. I still want Manchester United to win it this year. August the 1st, I think the final's going to be. be really weird with no fans, but I grew up with the FA Cup being a massive, massive deal. It was the only major trophy Manchester United won because Liverpool won the league and Manchester United didn't. So to win it again against um, a, a, a top side and had the added factor in that Fergie had to consider the European Cup final. Newcastle United didn't. You know, it was a real achievement to to beat a side. Newcastle had Duncan Ferguson, who's Norberto Solano, um, Gary Speed, Nick Dabizast. It, they were a very, very good team. They weren't Manchester United level, but they were a very, very decent side. But in the end, 2-0 win, it was pretty comfortable. Andy, first of all, how did you get to Barcelona? Because you were in London at the time, living in London at the time. Yeah, I lived in London in the treble season. Um, the, the one advantage was there were more flights from London than, than from Manchester uh, to, to Barcelona, uh, but we couldn't find any. What we did, we, we booked flights from Stansted to um, Bayou, which is in France, <laughs> um, in, and we flew there. Now, we all said, this sounds ridiculous now, so I'm with my mates. If we reach the European Cup final, we're all going to grow moustaches, right? This was at a time when moustaches were so out of fashion that you'd say, you know, it's what people in in backward towns still had <laughs> along, with, along with white socks and slip-on <laughs> shoes. Now, funny thing is, things come back in fashion, don't they? But anyway, <laughs> we all grew moustaches and we flew Ryanair um, to Bayou and we all had moustaches and we looked, we looked like an absolute mess. And we had a seven-seater and we drove through... Uh, Toulouse through through Carcassonne and um, two of the better looking lads got to know a couple of French girls in Carcassonne which was which was fantastic for them and then we <laughs> crossed the Spanish border and that's when we started seeing signs for Barcelona Barcelona first of all in French and then Barcelona we didn't have any accommodation and we had the ideas of stopping at towns on the Costa Brava and asking them if they had any uh, bed for the night. And we did that, and we didn't speak any Spanish, and nobody wanted us. So we, we entered the city of Barcelona with nowhere to stay for that night. We got there really early. We parked our rental um, seven-seater 
underneath the hotel arts, not knowing that Manchester United would be staying there that night. And we went in Port Olympic and we just enjoyed the day. Thousands of United fans everywhere. A few Bayern fans as well. And there was, there was no animosity between the two groups. And just sat having, having a few drinks. I wasn't working as a journalist. I was with my dad. I was with my brother. Uh, we all had tickets. The tickets were really cheap. £12 on the, the upper tiers behind the goal. Wow. And it just felt like, you know, we're going to see your team in a European Cup final. None of us had, had ever... I'd ever seen that before. It just just felt magical. What what about you, Laurie? Before the game? Well, yeah. So um, I know a long time ago, for regular listeners, we uh, talked about jibbing, didn't we, Andy? And and you gave well, us. Well, we talked uh, about your da- your dad being a jibber, which is <laughs> well. And, well and, I... and, and the, the jibber's motive is to pay is to fail. So just just do inform us on 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 what act, what act of criminality your your father took. <laughs> on on the good Catalan people. <laughs> well, so I you see, I thought we'd never jibbed, and then he reminded me. Well, actually, technically, we, we jibbed for the for the European Cup final because we did have tickets. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it wasn't a criminal act because we we ourselves were had a criminal act done upon us uh, because we had we had five tickets. Me, me dad. Uh, my mum, my sister and my cousin, Fran, um, and we'd queued up at Old Trafford. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, but obviously you know, after we'd qualified and um, it was a sort of snaking queue. But as long as you had all the tickets, uh, stubs for certain cup games, I think it was all of them, you basically got a ticket because obviously the new Camp was a lot larger than, um, or at least you, the, the fans um, had a lot more of a, a share of, of the seats than they had at Wembley. So the, the tickets were more plentiful. Um 38,000 for each team huge right. allocation which is great which is what you wanted because I'll, I'll get to sort of coming out into the stadium but it was you could see the two sets of fans absolutely you know totally jam-packed in, in in the stadium and it was brilliant to see such a visual sort of sight and um, I think we'd gone to like a, a, a League Cup game against Berry round three October 1998 sort of went to extra time Solskjaer scored <laughs> and, and Eric Neverland and I think a lot of people had sort of gone oh that's not for us that that match so that was a, the golden ticket really going to that game then having the full complement of, of stubs and, and being able to, to um, get tickets for the new camp. So yeah, we flew out there, all official travel, had it all these booklets and what have you. And my dad was like obsessed with wanting to go to uh, the beach and kind of you know, make a full day of it. So we got on the tube. It was quite a quick pace about us. Uh, and then we got on the, it was, it was really busy, lots of people about, and we got on the tube and uh, we, we came off at the first, we, we went on and my dad, my mum and sister sort of waited, they weren't quite quick enough and, and we got off again, but it was a bit of a hustle and bustle to it. And then we went for the, waited for the next train and got on the next train and sort of further down the track, my dad starts patting his pockets and, you know, you can see from his face what's happened. Basically, he's been pickpocketed with all his money, which was like I don't know, a couple hundred euro or something. Or what wasn't euro at the time, was it? A couple hundred quid's worth of per se to plus plus the five tickets. So um, obviously, in that stage, I'm <laughs> I think I'm crying. You know, sat on the I sat on the chair. We go back to the original um, train stop, which I think was um, Christina Maria. Is that one that's familiar to you, Andy? Given you live in Barcelona, Ma- Maria, Maria Christina. Sorry, yeah. the other way around. Sorry. Um, no, I'm, I'm impressed by your memory. Well, no, I only I only have this memory because I wrote. Uh, so this is a weird plug for my former employers, but the Daily Mail. I wrote a piece last year for the 20th anniversary, just a bit of a self indulgent um, reflection on what happened to us. But anyway, it's online, so I kind of refresh my memory with that and um, and Christina's mum's name as well. So I think that's sort of why it's stuck in 
our minds a little bit. But um, but yeah, we 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 went back and, and basically what had happened was there was a woman who um, I will always remember as um, Miriam Margolis in my head. She looked just like her, who'd sort of barged into my dad. And I think she had a, a fella with her as well, but they, they timed it, you know, beautifully they knew what they were doing and we went back and they, they were long gone and we yeah well, our tickets had gone so we searched in all the bins we went outside and tried tried to find everywhere couldn't find them it, it was definitely you know long gone but uh, so what we did, we tried to get in anyway. We we could obviously. So we went there. I think there was United officials over there that had obviously went over to sort of make sure the fans were kind of behaving themselves. And and, and there was a, a gate. Uh, there was a particular place that we could go and, and meet them at. And um, we met this guy in, in a suit, and he said, um, "All right, okay, thanks for you know." We'll, we'll look into it we'll see what we can do we, we might be able to get some tickets at some point um but yeah sorry we can't help you further right now so uh me my dad and fran went to try and sort source some tickets from somewhere else and we stayed um, around the new camp outside and and this was um at the time when mill west the, the, the travel company had, had um had sent people out there quite a few but hadn't actually got tickets so they were sort of milling around as well and the police were getting quite disturbed I think about quite a lot of people hanging around there without tickets and clearly in an emotional state so they started corralling people into some kind of group whilst they're on horses and it was it got quite a, a quite a testy situation quite scary hours passed ultimately my dad and Fran came back and they um, hadn't been able to get anything and we decided I, I i was happy i was said listen let's just go to a bar and watch it you know in a pub or something you know on a screen and my dad was having none of it and so this is where the jibbing comes in so he uh, we went to the first sort of security uh, perimeter which was a a, a, a sort of armored kind of spanish policeman with with an alsatian in his hand <laughs> sort of yapping away and my dad in in horrific spanish because uh, he does not speak any any spanish whatsoever was trying to explain what happened and i think the only reason why the policeman let us past him was because we were a family whereas if we'd have been like a group of young lads you know maybe a bit boozed up or whatever no chance whereas i think he could see that it was genuine and we had these packs you know from we had our flight tickets still so and it was all official you could, you could see that it was a sort of genuine situation we managed to get then to the gate around the new camp which is again another place where a load of fans had huddled and i don't know if you remember this andy but there was um the the, the stewards there was a lot of forgeries knocking about so um i think one steward um with kind of like fire i just remember this fire in his eyes sort of ripped up a ticket in front of a fan because he basically he'd said it was a forgery and this fan's like in tears himself so again that was something that we didn't fancy getting in the mix of so we walked round and fortunately found this gate seven um which is stuck in my mind and that was that was where united stewards were, were based just by chance and we saw the guy again the, the guy in the suit that had sort of promised that he'd, he'd help us and he was there and he was um, selling tickets to people and my mum um, being as she is uh, lost the plot <laughs> started giving him all sorts of grief saying you know what's happened to us and, and this is you sort of selling tickets now so we uh, he instantly um, sort of apologised and said no here, here you go then and just gave us three tickets that were not next to each other at all but they were in the stadium and, and that's kind of all that mattered and we were totally thankful for that um, and instantly my sister and mum said right you three go in because they you know, very much enjoyed the football but it wasn't quite the same level as, as the, the three um, of us and um, but in the meantime, another steward had heard what happened. 
he then said, no, no, we'll, we'll try and get you all in. And he went round to each turnstile um, in, in turn with my dad. I, we and Fran stayed where we were at this point and he explained the story as best he could and um, found eventually a turnstile operator that said, yeah, I'll let you just jump over this turnstile if you like, <laughs> all five of you. So <laughs> so we, um, yeah, so we managed to, to get in that way and um, we, he, he actually wanted to get us, this steward was incredible. He, he tried to get us down to the first tier, to, you know, best seats in the house. We were like, no, listen, and anywhere possible uh, we'll, we'll happily accept um, and we sort of had to jump over a little bit of a, um, a stairwell and it was a, it was a bit nin, you know, ninja um, ninja warrior style um, <laughs> sort of exercise but it, it, it was fine in the end we, we got we, we got in there stood up because I mean everyone was stood up anyway but the point I was making about the fans and, and how brilliant it was that you had so many fans in the stadium we, we walked out and it was a full house you know usually you kind of walk in don't you and it, it gr- gradually fills up but to sort of walk out into that full bloom of colour as they were just wheeling off the um, inflatables from the pre-match uh, entertainment was was something to behold that will sort of always stand with me. At halftime, it's 1-0 down and my dad had worn these jeans that he hadn't washed all year or something, I think, the lucky jeans. But in the in the haze of us getting into the stadium, he hadn't put them on. Um, and so my sister said, go, go put them on. So at halftime, he went down and he couldn't even afford, I think it was like five cents for, for the toilets. But obviously, because we'd had our tickets robbed, he couldn't even afford that. So he kind of had to do another jib uh, to get into there and uh, put them on. And obviously the rest is history with it being, um, you know, to, to the, my dad tries to claim some small slender of of, of influence on, on what happened in those crazy sort of 90 seconds after the 90th minute. I don't think you've jibbed it. I think... Um... I think you did everything right there. I think your mum and your dad did everything right. And it's nice that people actually helped you get into that game. And yeah, because the, the people who robbed you were out of order. I've had, I've had people, I've never had any issues with pickpockets in Barcelona in 20 years. And I've had mates of mine come over and, and get pickpocketed after five hours. Normally after that, we've had a few drinks and yeah. one of our mates that night, he got rolled. He decided to sleep on the beach and, using his possessions as a pillow and he woke up and he had no pillow or possessions. <laughs> wow. We, we, we'd made our way up to the ground from the Olympic port. The The metro was chaotic. We got a cab. The taxi driver took £50 off us, so he ripped us off. That was a complete rip-off. That journey should be like should have been like 12 quid in, in those days. Got to the ground. Uh, Channel 4 had given me a camera to do a diary of our, our trip and... We had to meet the, them outside the ground to, to give them the camera back because we weren't going to be allowed to take it into the ground. Lots of people milling outside without tickets. You mentioned Mill West. That was a, a travel company run by a, a very well-known United fan. And a lot of people didn't get in, in into the game because they didn't come up with the tickets they promised. I don't think they, they ripped people off deliberately. I just think that they were let down with tickets themselves. But I was getting a lot of chaotic reports from fans about that because I was editing the fanzine and people were angry. I got into the ground. I, I wore a United shirt. I didn't, didn't used to wear shirts at all. None of my mates did, but for the European Cup final and sort of stood there with, with my dad and my, and my brother. And the game, it wasn't a great game. M- my dad, the day after, was like, we were crap. We didn't do ourselves justice. I'm like, dad, they've just won the treble. Yeah, but they didn't perform. <laughs> Yeah, but that they just won the treble. Yeah, but they let themselves down. They didn't perform. Yeah, but they just won the treble. And it was just a rid- <laughs> ridiculous argument. And the celebrations were incredible. Um, I remember just being sort of emotionally exhausted watching it all, the celebrations after going on for, for hours and hours. And then we had the, the big problem of getting back to 
the hotel arts where our van was and we still didn't have any accommodation and the the metro system was so packed that I'd never do this now because I know Barcelona very well we got into Maria Cristina we wait for a metro and just decided nah it's too busy we'll walk it's 11 kilometers from there to the hotel arts we walked it took us wow. hours and hours and hours wow. everyone was knackered people had had a drink one thing I also remember is Mobile phone roaming charges were extortionate back then. It was two pound a minute job, and everyone was ringing home because of what had happened. You know, I am on. Yeah, we won. It was brilliant. And then a month later, everybody got these bills for two, three, four hundred pounds. <laughs> and we carried on walking, and we finally got to the Hotel Arts, where the Manchester United team were. They were about to have their post-match party. We stayed in the Hotel Arts. We stayed in the car park underneath it. We slept <laughs> on concrete. We slept in the van, apart from my mate who decided, I'm not sleeping in a car park. I'm sleeping on a beach, which is what he did. And, and he, uh, he got rolled for for his troubles. And it's just, it just a life-affirming moment where I remember the Catalan press the next day saying, they are ugly, but they are good people. And that was like a, a compliment <laughs> in the eyes of Spanish who felt that... Yeah. that all, and I mean all, English football fans are hooligans. And they couldn't believe that they hadn't trashed Barcelona. They'd drunk it dry. They'd taken over the <laughs> Ramblas. And I've got I've got to credit Bayern fans. They were extremely um, calm about the whole situation. I would have been fuming if my team had lost a European Cup final in those circumstances. And they were very friendly. I don't think relations between United and Bayern fans were damaged at all. They were only enhanced by that. The Bayern team actually stayed above the train station in like a four-star, really normal hotel. And being in Barcelona and hearing stories from the Catalan side years later, one of my mates saw someone just fast asleep on on the tube, um, match ticket, and just missed. He assumed he missed the game because he was fast asleep, going in the wrong direction away from the stadium. And I'm, why didn't you wake him up? And I don't know. So there's, there's a million stories and everyone has all these stories. If I've got any regrets, it was just above me, the entire team. And I knew some of them players. And if I would have been a decent jibber, I would have jibbed in. Uh, <laughs> we're having this party, which which included fights <laughs> between players. Uh, not between the players, between a player and um, the chairman's son. Uh, it went on till 6am. I think Dwight York didn't go to sleep. Roy Keane was spotted close to the main sorting office asking where the postman drank before work. And that would have been <laughs> sort of 5am. And that's just amazing. I mean, just... And Barcelona is such a wonderful city as well. It's where Eric Cantona chose to move to when he left United. It was perfect in so many ways. It was the cheap tickets, the good weather, the huge stadium, which allowed for a, a massive um, gathering of people. It's still to this day the busiest ever day of Barcelona Airport because you had all the Bayern fans coming in as well. And it's a city which it had staged the Olympics in the 90s. It was used to staging big events. But Barca fans to this day, they're very sad about it because they think it should have been them. It was their centenary year. They had a cracking team. They'd drawn twice with Manchester United. They had Guardiola. They had Luis Figo. They had Rivaldo. They had Louis van Gaal as manager. And they felt that their stars were aligning the final in our home, in our centenary year. And of course, football and life uh, seldom aligns like that. But 
we had we ended up seeing um, on our story we ended up seeing the um the steward that had helped us get in at Manchester Airport later that when we when we flew back and touched back down and my dad um sent him a, a bottle of champagne and wrote a letter to United just to say thanks so much Brilliant. for, for him that. and and we also got the wallet back because um a, a fan a United fan from Cyprus had found it uh, maybe on La Ramblas or maybe just outside the stadium um with my dad's driving license in and a picture of us in but nothing else <laughs> obviously <laughs> but it was nice to get it back and he said and my dad then sent him a, a, a shirt in the post as well so as you say there's so many memories aren't there that you could sort of talk about forever um and I did I did ask people on Twitter for their uh, sort of memories of it and um I, I got one um one reply from uh, Andy who goes under at Mr Pig 13 he said he was he was 11 he watched it at Gillhead which is in Lake Windermere Lake District um when because he was on a school residential and he wanted to watch it at home with his dad he begged him for a week not to send him but his dad was having none of it as he spent the money on the trip so you go in son <laughs> which I thought was quite a, an amusing little um little side Brilliant. side note and yeah and, and, and the other the only other sort of feedback I got was from a guy who I actually went to uh, college with, who I didn't know at the time, um, but he said he was one of those people that, that went out um, under the Mill West um, sort of situation. So again, they didn't they didn't get the tickets, and they ended up um, then also sort of worse getting the uh, sort of a, a, the train the wrong way, uh, ended up in some outpost and not having enough time to get back. So they sort of watched it in some qu- very quiet, you know, deserted bar, sort of just the two of them. But I think that's quite sweet, you know, him and his dad, um, sort of at least just sort of in in the local vicinity and kind of together watching it because i when we were outside i there was a big screen outside the new camp i don't know if you remember this but um and, and i thought oh actually we'll just we'll sit outside there's, there's quite a few fans here we can watch it on the big screen that's kind of you know we, we can hear the roar from inside the new camp that, that's not too bad actually as an, as an alternative and apparently they actually switched the big screen off once the match started so it would have been a horrendous alternative so close yet so far it's funny how the players remember it i'd um Andy Cole came to, to Barcelona last year and I spent a, a few days with him and I tried to jog his memory and I, I took him to this building outside Barcelona and said, have you ever been here before? He went, no. I said, that's your team hotel. You stayed there the <laughs> before the game. And he's <laughs> that like, is mad. Wow. Yeah, isn't it? And and you have other players with, with photographic memories and other players who genuinely thought, we move on to the next game. It's like they deleted their entire memory bank from everything that happened beforehand and Roy Keane was the biggest proponent of this. It was like win more again, again. It was just this machine that always looked forward and 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 didn't look back. And it was interesting. I'm like Andy, you've stayed in that hotel. You've been here. You've been for a walk down that beach and just just no me- no no memory of it. But uh, that team, when I did the piece for Jesper Blomqvist last week, and Jesper had been in the, that hotel, which is now being used to help uh, recovering uh, victims of, of COVID. He was in the hotel room writing notes to himself the night before the game because his confidence was shot, saying, come on, Jesper, you can do this. And he, he didn't enjoy it because he was wrapped up in nerves and his regret is that he didn't relax a little bit. And he said the reason that team did so well because he felt they were better, they were better technical rivals was that they, they, they peaked at the right time. You had this mixture of youth and experience, but they'd been around the blocks They'd reached the quarterfinals. They'd been eliminated in the semifinals before. They just peaked at this perfect time. And and yet they came so close to not winning it, partly because they were missing two, two of the, the best players in, in Roy Keane and Paul Scholes. And then 
to see them celebrating afterwards with great reluctance. I remember watching them. They didn't, mm-hmm. didn't want to. Yeah, totally. They had to be dragged over. They had these really yeah. smart gray suits. I think Paul yeah. Smith had designed them for them. Um, but that that hour where the players celebrated in front of 40,000 United fans yeah. was just one of one of the best ever. And you, you can't get any higher as a football fan, but to do it in such dramatic circumstances... It's just, it's just incredible. Almost lost the cup and you win it. The new European champions, the treble, the dream come true for you. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. Shall we have a mailbag to wrap this up? Patrick and Karen, us on Twitter. The NRL, the uh, rugby league down south. Uh, in Australia, has been pumping crowd noises into empty stadiums during games. Laurie, do we know our matches tonight planning to do anything similar? Well, so I'm told that um, this is actually more going to be a central thing. So Premier League um, and Sky will look at uh, offering potentially a red button to customers. So if they want crowd noises, they can have it, but it won't be something that they'll be playing at the actual stadiums themselves, which I think probably makes sense. You know, it's, it's up to, you know, it'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it? Um, sort of artificial crowd noises. And I know you've spoken before, haven't you, Andy, about fans uh, not being there and then being perhaps replaced by crowd noises. So listen, if you're at home and watching, I think that sounds like a good alternative if you want to be able to just listen to a bit of noise and not have you know so much of an echo around the stadium. I'm going to put this one to you, Andy, from uh, John McKenna. If you could only pick one, would you prefer a cup win or a top four spot for Manchester United right now? Which cup? FA Cup or Europa League? I would... Because Europa League gets you into the Champions League next year, doesn't it? So <laughs> it does I would say I, I would say Europa League because you you win a trophy. I've still got this dream of going to Gdansk for the final. I don't even think the game's even going to be played there now. Um, so yeah, I would say uh, Europa League because that gets you into the Champions League um, next year. But I, I'm a, I do want the season to continue. I do want Manchester United to. Be, this season could still end up being a very good one if United were to win the FA Cup, to finish in the top four, to win the Europa League, or it could be a very poor one if they lose every game. So there's still a lot to play for, but yeah, I go for cup win. Possibly a lot more. Laurie, we've got some transfer questions from Brian Lee on Twitter who mentioned some rumours about United looking at Joe Rondon, the centre-back at Swansea City, and Raheem Sterling, of all players. Can you tell us yes. anything? Well, on Joe Roden, um, I've seen him myself for, for Wales n- numerous times. I spoke to Ryan Giggs about him when I did the interview um, for the Athletic um, a few weeks ago, and I, I just I floated this as a kind of idea a, a while ago, um, just thinking that if United were in the market for a centre back, he probably wouldn't cost all that much money, look really accomplished on the ball, seems to be a good character. Could they? You know, bring him in, maybe loan him back out, or just sort of you know encourage him in that way. Um, not necessarily going straight into the first team. So, uh, and that seems you know it seems to be picked up a little bit of pace. So I don't know, maybe maybe it's one to watch. Um, you never know. Um, on Sterling, um, I did check this out. It, uh, it was a report that came out this week, and you know, obviously quite a, a startling one. Um, and I, I thought I'd check it out. And I mean, the word that I've got back is is that that's not. You know something that United are looking at at the moment. Um, so listen, I'm, I'm sure that it's a, it's an interesting one, and, and you know I'm sure the scouts do uh, look at what Sterling's doing, but I, I just wouldn't go further down on that one um, uh, particularly. Um, and I think we've had a few questions on Kai Havertz as well, um, the uh, midfielder in, in Bayer Leverkusen, who uh, United definitely did have a conversation about in January, um, but basically were put off by a hundred million euro price tag. Um, so listen, if that comes down, then maybe that's something they can look at because he is one that's a very talented player and, and would certainly fit into what Solskjaer is trying to do at United, but uh, not for that kind of price. 
Thank you so much, listener, for joining us for another episode of Talk of Devils. We will have some more excellent content to come in next week. Just because Rebooted has reached its finale doesn't mean we're going to go away anytime soon. Other than that, thank you so much, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. And that's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talk of Devils podcast, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.